0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. My name is Mark B., and joining me today is a friend of mine and generally all-around good guy, Mr. Greg Johnson. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing good. A little hot, but I'm okay.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting out here on the East Coast, <laughs> unfortunately. But hopefully that will rectify itself at some point before the freaking heat death of the universe. Jesus. Uh, all right, so... The other day, you and I were having a conversation about various things related to gaming and the concept of MOBAs, online games in general, and things related to that came up. And when I had mentioned that I had had a discussion on the business side of things relating to gaming in general and DLC and whatnot, you had mentioned that maybe this might be something we could work with as far as the MOBA and online communities were concerned.
1: Right. And, and I, I think it raises a question of are, you know, essentially is gaming training towards every game that comes out have to be a, an esport capable game?
0: Yeah. And it's, if you had looked at gaming, at least a lot of the popular games in this past year, it kind of shows that trend to a certain extent, where if you're not making weird little indie games, you're trying to make something that's cashing in on the expansion of esports, which is weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it falls generally into two buckets. You either have the the e-sport push, or you have the, the DLC push, or sometimes both. So um, a lot like games like League of Legends are esports and DLC pushing and uh, things like that. So yeah, it's it's kind of gotten me to a point where recently I found myself going back towards retro gaming and kind of kind of I guess when things were a bit of a simpler time, and it made me curious and think like, oh, I wonder if other people kind of feel, you know, the same way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you can kind of sort of see why that would not be the worst idea from a developer perspective. I mean, okay, esports has been pretty successful in the past couple of years. Um, StarCraft 2 is a huge deal for Blizzard, clearly. Uh, Evo was just on ESPN, and that had to be a huge deal, not just for the fighting game community, but for fans of street fighter 5 capcom who had seen street fighter 5 sales start to stagnate there's there's definitely got to be money in that market but it's just weird because as of three four five years ago you couldn't make a competitive game that was just a competitive or just an online game and now it seems like a lot of games are specifically trending in that direction
1: Right. They're they're developed with trying to be an esport in mind. Like so you have a game like Overwatch, for example, where clearly that's what they had in mind. And uh you know, to a lesser degree, Hearthstone too, like clearly was trying to push that avenue. Um, so it's and it, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think, you know, it's it brings people in to to you know, the, to wanted to be doing gaming and it expands the audience, but at the same time it does kinda of make you feel like every game you're expected to play it as an esport.
0: Oh yeah, and it's just look at how many games in the past few years we've seen that are doing this sort of thing. Overwatch, Battleborn, Titanfall, and that's not even getting into the MOBAs. Just off the top of my head in MOBAs, you've got League of Legends, Dota 2, Heroes of the Storm, Smite, and Paragon. Really? Do we need five MOBAs at this point? Is I don't know. It's I'm tempted to just start this as, the, the question of the podcast is, what the fuck, but... I guess the, the simpler question is is this sustainable?
1: I don't I think HotS is an example that it's it's not sustainable, right? Cuz you have a pretty I think an enjoyable game. I enjoy it. I think I know the question a lot of people ask is why does it even exist? But I think it, part of the reason why it exists is that Blizzard was pissed off that this is something that was built using our framework. You know, it was, it was originally a Warcraft 3 mod that made the original Dota game, and then I kind of expanded into the MOBA genre. So they felt that they wanted a piece of their pie. I, I get that aspect of it, but at the same time, the way they've approached Blizzard's approach esports in general, they haven't exactly been great at it. Um, whereas, you know, Valve had their approach where they basically just threw millions of dollars of tourney money, and then Riot has had a, an iron grip on the tournament scene too. So they already had a disadvantage going into it. And I've seen the criticism for HOTS is that there's almost like a uh, elitism. There's already elitism as there is in MOBAs, but League players basically say they won't play HOTS because it's too easy, or you know, you're a noob if you play it. So it's got a lot of things kind of going against it.
0: Well, I mean, it's inter- it's interesting too, like as you're talking about HOTS, and everything associated with that, because it seems to me, just from looking at it, I didn't know this at the time, Activision Blizzard actually filed a lawsuit against Valve over the Dota trademark, which kind of seems to have inspired the release of Heroes of the Storm, so your supposition that they did it because they're pissed off at Dota doesn't seem like it's far off at all.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there was talk of that for, for years where they tried... Doing a, a lot, I know they tried multiple times in the past, and I think they just kind of gave up on it because I mean, really, if you look at the texture models, if you played, I don't, did you play Warcraft Three? I did. Okay, so I mean, if you look at the texture models of Dota, they're basically Warcraft Three characters. Like you, you can anyone who's played that game could look at it and be like, this was taken from, it was inspired from Warcraft Three. League, to a lesser extent, um, they they kind of took a more creative approach on most of the characters. Uh, but yeah, I, I could see where Blizzard's frustration would be. But on the flip side, again, Blizzard didn't have the the forward thinking or the foresight to say, "Hey, here's this really popular mod we have that was fan created. We we there could be something here." Then that's kind of their loss. I mean, you you give your fans a, a tool to create mods and games. There's a chance something is gonna you know take off, and that's what happened in this case.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's the first time I was introduced to Dota in any capacity was through a co-worker who one day while we were all working on an evening shift had brought in his laptop and was playing it and I was like that looks like Warcraft 3 he's like it's a mod called Defender of the Ancients and I was like okay I've never heard of that before but it looks interesting and then a year later I'm like wait Dota is actually a thing that like lots of people what the fuck all right
1: yeah and I think you know going back to the whole esports thing MOBAs are exciting games. I mean, you have very fast-paced combat. There's so many different characters. There's so many different team comps and, and things that can happen. The meta shifts and all that good stuff. So it makes for an exciting esport game. Uh, Starcraft 2, same same deal. Uh, it's fast-paced. There's big battles. Like it, it makes for a good esport. And I guess part of my frustration what in this conversation initially was, does every game... Need to be like that, and if you look at real life sports, which is really what they're trying to mimic with this whole esports thing, is that same feeling of you've got it, you have the pros, you know, aka your teams that you're supporting. It's it's very there's there's similar parallels there. But at the same token, in the U.S., for example, you only have three or four sports that are exciting. Really, two of them, in my opinion, are saying to watch, and then you don't see like extreme badminton. <laughs> Or extreme tennis, like, yeah, tennis exists, like, it's a professional sport, but no one's lying around the block to see it, at least in the U.S. I get there's Wimbledon and all that, but you see my point, like, I think that gaming developers need to look at genres and say, let's just leave the genre for what it is, and not try to make it an eSport, and let everything else, you know, kind of thrive organically.
0: And it's, even, even just the simple idea of competitive multiplayer in some capacity or another is not necessarily a thing that's been all that successful on its own merits. Like you would see games where people three, four, five years ago had said, okay, a standalone single player game can last X amount of time and it will generate X amount of sales. And ideally we would like to create these games also with some online multiplayer, but online multiplayer games taken on their own merits didn't do very well. Like you would see a a Mass Effect 2, or a Dragon Age, or a Fallout 4. And they would do five, 10 million units, and that would generally be successful. And then you would take the few games that maybe wouldn't stand so well on their own, a Bioshock 2, a Dead Space 2, um, or sorry, Dead Dead Space 3 in this case, and you would tax some degree of multiplayer onto them. Actually, no, both Dead Spaces. Two had a competitive multiplayer mode, and three had online co-op. And you would start seeing these single-player exclusive games that were getting multiplayer tacked to them. But then when people tried releasing multiplayer exclusive titles, especially on the consoles, with something like, say, MAG or Evolve, the the games fucking tanked. Nobody wanted a game that was entirely online only, and the sales suffered for it.
1: Yeah, and I think, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's like back, you know, 10... 15 years ago, multiplayer was an afterthought. And a lot of games that were multiplayer became popular, Goldeneye is an example of this. It was never even an intended focal part of the game. It was the campaign and the story-driven. Now, I think part of the reason why games like Mag failed was simply because, one... The the online infrastructure was complete garbage. I mean, if you bought it on PS3, you you weren't going to play that. I mean, I remember my cousin picked that game up, and it was just the the lag was so bad that it was really not doable. PlanetSide is another example of like a online multiplayer game that uh, the original one did well, but the release when I understood struggled out of the gate. I think they recently did an update to it that made it a little bit more palpable, but in general, I don't think it took off that great. Now a- again, though, I think that. You're seeing the switch to that, like Battlefield, Star Wars Battlefield, that came out, didn't even have a single-player campaign. It was online only.
0: Yeah, it's... Multiplayer. Yeah, Titanfall and Battlefront were both really considered to be failures insofar as the public perception goes, but let's be honest here. They made their money back and then some. Both games moved somewhere around 10 million copies. They made their cash. It's Titanfall failed because nobody bothered to do anything with it long-term. It's one of the fastest games I've ever seen that, from launch, people immediately stopped talking about it. Which was just amazing to me, that within a week, nobody was saying anything about Titanfall. Nobody gave a shit about it. But it moved 10 million copies somehow, so it, it don't care, it got paid. And Battlefront is a game where, no matter how much money you made off of that, if you, as the publishing house, had to come in and say, I'm sorry that this game wasn't what it was supposed to be, you fucked up. That's the beginning and the end of it there. But then Destiny, The Division, and Splatoon, which were all games that are pretty much exclusively online games, though Splatoon has a mild single-player mode to it, are considered to be successes. In some capacity, or other and they're all online exclusive as well, or mostly online exclusive. Success
1: is what they've all received huge amounts. I've not I haven't played Splatoon, but I know Destiny's received a lot of criticism. I play Destiny. I, I've done all the high-end rating and all that for quite some time, and I mean, I'm on the wall even picking up the next expansion because of the fact that like you're paying. This is a whole other conversation. Like the I guess what DLCs turned to become. You, you buy the base game for sixty, then you buy these expansion packs, and the expansion really consists of reskinned weapons. Uh, maybe one raid which the last one they even consists of a raid um that they released taken king and uh it's just been i don't know i i don't know what they're really what the end game is they're, you're right they're they're selling and making money but you're paying more and more for less content that we would have gotten 10 years ago which is kind of interesting that there's really no protesting with that i mean there is but yet people still spend the money and buy it
0: well, I mean, it's it's. I feel like the protesting is being worn down by the people who initially make the really bad decisions so that when we get to the point where the games come out and they've kind of fixed some of the things that the progenitors had done, people forget about it. Like, again, Destiny came out and it was critically received in a lot of respects. People couldn't get nearly enough loot that they would want off of drops from enemies and you had people attempting to look for infinite respawn caves in order to just try and get some type of loot that was worth anything uh the level structure was criticized the amount of post-game content was criticized and they fixed destiny over a period of a year to get it to a point where it's it's the game it probably should have been at launch so then games like the division follow up on that and they're like okay what are all the things that destiny did wrong And I mean, to me personally, I still think The Division has some really bad ideas for how it's structured and the way that Ubisoft is choosing to respond to people who work with like trying to exploit code or exploit things that are done wrong in the game is a bit draconian, but for the most part, it took a look at what Destiny did wrong and actively tried to avoid doing that. It still does plenty of things wrong, but more people are more receptive towards it because it fixes the obvious complaints and kind of leaves the less obvious ones off to the side for later patching if they get around to it.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that raises part of the frustration. With that we're talking about this right now, so I'll stick to that. Um, you kind of feel like you're paying for a beta test, like like, and Diablo three struggled with the same issue. Uh, you you have this super high product, you're paying the sixty dollars. In some cases, more than that. If you're getting like the season passes or DLC on top of it, or it's, you know, not every game has that, but in this case, let's say you did. So now you're looking at 90 bucks, and yeah, you get a game that literally you can blow through the content for the most part within probably a week. And I know with Destiny, the first raid, like most people cleared out within like the first week or two, and then you're farming your loot, and that's just how those games work. But it definitely did not feel complete. And no. a lot of things they showed at E3 as well, like planets we didn't get, and then lo and behold, people also found out, and this is slowly coming back to me, a lot of the stuff that was available in the expansion pack was on the actual disc, and they just didn't turn it on because they wanted to get that sweet, sweet DLC.
0: And that's not a surprise at all, but it's also interesting that, like, the scientific method as it relates to video games has been a thing that we've been involved in for years, Right. Uh, developers will release experimental games and they'll say, hey, what do you think of this game? And maybe we'll love it. Sometimes we'll probably crap all over it. And then other people will come in and refine that to get it to the point where it needs to be. Like Overwatch didn't spawn fully formed into the world just by itself. You know, we had games like Mirror's Edge, uh, Brink,
1: Team Fortress,
0: Team Fortress. That's a perfect example were the infant version of what Overwatch was and Overwatch eventually evolved off of the backs of those games. And it's, it's, it's developers have been releasing these experimental games that eventually get sanded down and refined and made into art over time. But we're, we're starting to see the beginnings of developers refining their own games that don't work as intended. And it's, It's good in one respect because the person who creates the concept is making the money off of it instead of somebody fixing it and releasing it as their own game three or four years later. But by the same token, it's just weird seeing something evolve from a game that nobody's happy with to a game that most people are happy with over the span of a year.
1: But are the reason is the reason they're happy with it because it's actually a great game, or is it because what they got initially was so fucking awful and they wanted to like it so badly because of the IP that when the changes are made, they're like, you know what, I can live with this. Like that's what happened with Diablo. Like Diablo was this beloved IP. Everyone who bought Diablo three didn't buy Diablo three because of anything we saw about the game. It was because we loved Diablo two. Like that's just that's just a reality. And then Diablo three came out, and uh, it it just did. You play Diablo three at all?
0: Oh yeah, I've I've been playing it.
1: Okay, so when Diablo III released, like, it was the epitome of like poor itemization. Itemization was horrible. Yeah, and one of the big things of why it was delayed, like it was in development hell for years, no pun intended, was because of the real money auction house. Blizzard was trying to get that to work. So, and that's... Part of my frustration with it is that these developers are trying to fit in mechanics to to, make money off the game and be able to control the third-party pockets, like item buying in this case. And as a result, they don't get it right. They ended up getting rid of the the Real Money Auction House, that that insult to injury, and they reversed all the itemizations, they remade the game basically from the inside out, which is great. It's great that they did that, but the expansion that we had to buy and spend money on and wait, a year and a half forward, or to 2 years was to fix the game we had already purchased. And that's and that's a recurring trend I see. Destiny made that mistake. Um Final Fantasy Online made that mistake. Final, yeah, Fantasy, Final Online... Fantasy
0: 14, Realm Reborn is is a good game now, but when they started right. everybody hated that fucking game. They had to let people play I think like 8 months for free while they unfucked everything with it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I purchased that game, and I played it, and like that's I keep seeing this happen. You We wait these massive titles. We spend all this money on it. They, they hype you up. They spend more time getting you to buy a Founders Edition and do everything else than really work on the core of the game. They're tr- so busy trying to figure out, how can we squeeze every single cent out? Oh, and by the way, how can we also make it an esport it's like stop worrying about it. let these things happen organically like literally the success of league of legends i think is so important to look at this it was made by no one it was made by fans it was a cool concept made by an you know existing mod of a game and it blew up into a multi-billion dollar franchise and a whole entire series of games that's what we need to do there needs to be more innovation stop spitting out IP, stop worrying about DLC. If you make a good game, you're not going to have to trick people into things or force them into it. They'll wi- willingly spend that money.
0: And it's it's just weird, though. Like Competitive multiplayer has been in games for, especially with the online component, for years at this point, right? It's Call of Duty has been pretty much bought and sold on its competitive multiplayer, though they always had that core single-player component in there that people would... Buy the game for if they hated the competitive multiplayer but still wanted to, I I don't know, shoot brown people for 10 hours or whatever.
1: I did that. I played the campaigns because I, I thought it was, most of them were immersive and, and they were fun. I mean, back in the day, I, I was actually a Medal of Honor guy. I was kind of annoyed when Call of Duty came around because it completely killed Medal of Honor. But yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. It's, those campaigns are are fun. And it's I don't know if it's just shooting brown people. Maybe that's part. But I like the historical aspects of it. And I like playing the different guns and flying different ships and going through different periods of time. And to have them gut that, it, it's just it is frustrating for people like me that Also do multiplayer, but purchase it for the campaign, too.
0: Yeah, and it's the thing is, for the PC market, competitive multiplayer, cooperative multiplayer, whatever, exclusively multiplayer games aren't quite as novel a concept. Because Counter-Strike has been around for years at this point. And as you had mentioned before, Team Fortress 2 has been around for years and years. And they've evolved Team Fortress 2 over time, putting in things where you can do real money transactions in order to get certain things and adding in cooperative modes like man versus machine. But these games didn't just fall to the earth like out of whole cloth. They were released seven, eight, nine years ago in some respects and slowly evolved over time to become these really robust things. Right. But for a console perspective, like we didn't really start seeing those kinds of things as successful enterprises, until Overwatch may be the first game that does that sort of thing to the exclusion of all else, and is a successful product.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of this. I mean, Destiny tried doing that, but they weren't targeting purely PvP. Like they had a their their big focus was the PvE aspect as well. So I don't know if you could really give that as an example of a multiplayer. If we're talking player is player, then yeah, Overwatch multiplayer in general. I'd say Destiny was successful with it too, although they did make some mistakes and struggle out the gate.
0: Right. The closest thing I can come up with is maybe Titanfall or Battlefront. But again, it's they made their money, but nobody really likes them or thinks particularly highly of them. But Overwatch, Jesus Christ, Overwatch is a huge success. And there's there's no way to understate it. Blizzard is saying they moved something like 15 million units within a month or two and back in june a company called game tricks which is a south korean internet cafe survey company which is just a weird thing to have to say in general when i think about it reported that overwatch overtook league of legends in yeah i saw that in play in over in uh, internet cafes which is a big thing in south korea and a big indicator of what the popular experience is and it's it's just such a Weird thing to realize: Holy shit! Overwatch is just huge. It it exploded, and it, it's basically Team Fortress with like really interesting character designs that we're charging forty to sixty dollars for when TF two is kind of free.
1: Yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying, but I think why most people are okay with it is that they came right out and said, again, like we're dealing with a generation of gamers now that some of them probably have grown up and all they know is the console season pass pc dlc gaming that's all they know so to them they're not really necessarily getting ripped off it's like oh you, you get the game you get free access or in some case you pay for it and then you play you know you pay as you play whereas we are still begrudgingly doing that so i think where i'm going with this is overwatch came out and said hey you know what you're gonna to have to pay the six dollar price tag. However, you'll get all heroes up front for free. And so the masses are like, Oh, that's that's freaking amazing. They're gonna give us all these heroes for free. Whereas if you've played any game historically, it's like, well that's how it always was. But now it's like you've consumers are expecting to be ripped off and they're almost like thankful that they're not going to be, so there's less complaining. And the DLC aspect, it's not Overwatch is not paid to win. There's no XP boost like in other games. Um, it's, it's literally just, you get skins or aesthetic emotes or things like that. So I think those aspects is why you hear less criticism of paying the full price for the game. And also the fact that they've said openly when they patch, you're not going to have to pay DLC for that either. You know, we've seen a few new heroes come out, uh, no new maps yet that I can think off the top of my head, but we haven't had to pay for those. So I think those concepts together is why it's been accepted a little bit more.
0: Yeah. it's just we've gotten one new hero so far in Ana. And um, a new game mode with the, the Lucio ball, which most people are just comparing to Rocket League, which is what it is. It's exactly like yeah.
1: Rocket it, it It is basically Rocket League with Lucios.
0: Yeah, different different people are having different responses to it. Like, most of my friends have said, oh, they think it's great, we should try it. And most of the people I see online think it's fucking trash, which is... Okay, whatever.
1: There, there is one thing I will say about that, though, that you just reminded me of. So, the Lucio Ball came part of their summer games event, right? Which is cool. They they, they really, no one's really expecting it. it just kind of came up out of the blue. And uh, there's loot boxes. And for those of you who don't know, like the loot boxes is where you can get the DLC items I was referring to. You can either get it through, uh, every time you gain a level in the game on your account, you can earn one loot box, or you can purchase it with real money. Now, you can also, for characters' skins or emotes, use the gold currency that you earn in a game also through loot boxes to buy individual skins remotes emotes that you want for characters that you really like to play what i know ch-
0: immediately where you're going with this
1: yes so what they changed with the summer games was that you can buy summer game loot crates like you always could you can earn summer crate loot like you always could from playing the game however you cannot buy the individual skins or emotes that are tied to this event which is what does that tell you? They want people to be buying these crates because they want that sweet American flag draped McCree. And I, I think that I did see the kind of the first pushback on the game to where I, I know Jeff Kaplan, who is their lead developer, had to make a post and say, you know, we're not going to change it. Essentially, we're just going to stand firm. We want their, I think the, uh, if I can remember correctly, off the top of my head, the excuse that he used was, we want some things to be rare and exciting for players. Um, but we'll keep an eye on it, and then you know when we get to the Christmas, I'm sure, or Halloween, or whatever they do next. Um, they'll they'll see they want to change it. But that 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 to me, that's a little bit like teetering on the line of shady business practice. To you know, are they really trying to make it rare? Do they really care about that, or they just want people to buy these loot crates?
0: Oh yeah, and it's the thing is is like this is not a new conversation. Um... I had this conversation with uh, Jonathan Widrow a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about DLC practices and whatnot, but I've been seeing this particular conversation come up with Overwatch for pretty much since it was launched, uh, thanks to Mr. Jim Sterling, who originally stated he did not like the ability for people to be able to pay money for the loot boxes, because frankly, from his perception of it, the the way that the loot boxes worked was absolute garbage, because it's, it's almost impossible to get aesthetic items that you might actually want. And as somebody who's played, you know, a, a good amount of hours of the game, I can kind of agree with that, because I ended up having to buy, like, a, a rank skin for Mercy, the character I predominantly play as, because I got nothing on the PC or on the Xbox One, which is just confusing.
1: It, it is definitely, I, I'd be curious to see what the algorithm they use for the loot crates are, because I, I, I played a lot, like, my... Accounts like I think like level 150, which is I'm sure not close to some people that are hardcore, but I play more competitively as well. I've gotten a lot of loot crates, and I probably for each character have like I want to say, like if there's 50, I'll just say I have 25, I have half for each. And a big reason why I only have half for each is because I'll open up a crate and you get four or five items and three or four of them are duplicates. And I think to myself like, how is that possible? Even earlier on, I would get duplicates when there's like so much content available, not just for those characters, but there's like a hundred avatars you can get. You know what I'm talking Those little avatars you can change to? Mm-hmm. Like, like the odds you get 50% to 75% dupes in those crates, I I don't get that.
0: No, I don't either, and the thing that really is interesting to me, I don't know if this is valid because Photoshop is the thing that exists on the internet, let's let's not pretend otherwise, but I've seen a picture going around where Blizzard had made a change to their description of the game mechanics as far as loot goes, and I'm looking at it now. The original description, again, supposedly, I, I can't validate that this is correct because Photoshop exists, but originally it said, quote, loot boxes have a chance to contain credits you can use to acquire any specific cosmetics you want, unquote. And then was changed recently to say, quote, loot boxes have a chance to contain credits that you can use to acquire many customization options, unquote. Which which kind of makes me wonder if that's true and if that's a legitimate thing that was changed. Did they specify that that way and then realize the the pure opportunity that they had for profit and change it after the fact because they just realized that that was an option? Or is there something a little more insidious going on here? Did they create that specifically with the idea of bringing players in and then change it knowing that they were always going to? And I want to give Blizzard the benefit of the doubt, but then I remember the auction house and I'm like... Hmm.
1: Yeah, they made a ton of money off that. That I don't want thinking about the auction house makes me like ill to my stomach. It just like cuz they they literally designed the I'm going to go on a Diablo 3 rant. You just basically like, triggered me. That's fine. But fine. like basically they designed and developed the game around the auction house. Like Jay Wilson came out and said it. Like, "Mr. we're going to double it." And what I mean by that is that so the way the game worked when you were leveling um Diablo II, the whole point of Diablo II is getting sweet legendaries, okay? So legendaries were the best items that you get in the game, set items as well. In Diablo 3, set items and legendaries were completely—they were—they were worthless. And most characters use uh, yellows, yellows and uh, blues if you're really, you know, if you weren't in end game yet. And when you finally hit end game, you're going to the torment difficulty. The loot—it was like playing an MMO. You had to like farm Act One to get this gear, and they—they they basically made items horrible because they were worried. According to Jay Wilson, that people would just buy the best stuff off the auction house, be able to hit end game too fast, then they would stop spending money because they achieved it too. So they basically put in this like slow progression curve intentionally for profits, and then design the game around like having shitty items on purpose. That is horrible design. And then that insult to injury, Act One: the better items were in Act Two, but you couldn't get strong enough. I don't know if this, if this like will be clear enough for people, but basically you couldn't progress the next stage of the game with the items you had. Without purchasing items off the auction house. Like, it just wasn't possible. Like, you were gated in Act 1 based on the item level, because items were scaled off item level there. So let's say monsters were able to be defeated with an item level of 60, I'm just simplifying it. Act 1 would only give you up to 40. So it couldn't be done. Like, in theory, if you're like, god mode and never got hit, maybe, you could do it in, if you had an Eternity and a, maybe a GG group. But the vast majority of players wouldn't be able to do it. So what did they do? They turned to the auction house. And that, that was the insidiousness of, of Diablo 3. It was just horrible. Like, no one played that game to play yellows. They, they wanted legendaries. That's what ROS fixed. Like, they added brand-new legendary affixes. Legendaries were in-game again. They added cubing. They added a ton of content. And I do not fault them at all for that. They've done a lot to revitalize the game. But that business plan, 100%, revolved around the auction house. I think they lost a lot of confidence in people after that.
0: Oh yeah, and it's it's not like this is the only example of Blizzard kind of doing stuff that maybe isn't the nicest possible thing to do from a fiscal perspective. Because let's not forget that StarCraft 2 is also kind of in that boat of Doing things in a way that makes it kind of apparent that Blizzard wants your money above and beyond anything else. Because the original StarCraft was released with all three sets of races represented in the storyline and all of the relevant character options available to players pretty much up front. And then they released Brood War, which was a solid expansion, gave lots of options to all of the different races. And it was just the game, the expansion, that was it. You were done. Okay. So then they released StarCraft II, and it's three different games. And if you want to have the optimal online experience with that game, you need to buy all three packages. And then on top of that... There's also additional in-game content that you can buy that exists outside of those three games, like the Nova Covered Ops Pack and a separate commander for the cooperative mode that they have available. Why? Like, why is there so much StarCraft II content, and why is it that you couldn't just release a game and then consistently update it? I can understand if they put in the DLC as a side thing for people who don't necessarily want to play competitive multiplayer, but you need Legacy of the Void if you want to have the most up-to-date competitive multiplayer options because they do change it from one game to the next. Yeah, I'm actually gonna step in here and interrupt the podcast real quick just to note that I checked that out after the fact just to be certain of it. And it turns out that no, that's not correct. There is an option in the menus for StarCraft 2 that will allow you to actually change the multiplayer rule sets to match up to whatever version of the game that you want to play as, regardless of which version of the game that you own. I don't know if this was a thing that they added in after the fact, or if this was some kind of fever dream that I had that this never existed, but either way, yeah, that's that's not correct. That's, that's not at all accurate, and y- you can completely disregard that. I'm just stupid. Back to the show.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think... StarCraft 2 is another one that sold a lot of copies initially, but really fell off the competitive scene, partially because of MOBAs and just ch- times were changing, but also and, and partially because of Blizzard's, you know, not being able to juggle the competitive scene in general, the, how they licensed their games and not letting people form these tournaments. They wanted to own it themselves, but they didn't know how to effectively do it. They're they're trying to make changes now with like buying MLG, you know, and trying to make that a successful enterprise. Uh, we'll see what happens with that, but really, the, the the other thing that I was kind of going with this is that StarCraft 2 made same mistakes Diablo 3 did. You had a successful formula, and for whatever reason, they were like, "We just can't use the same ideas again. Like, we can't have another Necro. We already had a Necro. We gotta have a Witch Doctor. We can't have a Lurker. We're gonna have a, a Burker." Like, they, like they change these little things, to, like piss their fans off, myself included, and I and I don't get it. Like they, they almost do things to kind of like spite themselves. So I think it was a kind of a perfect storm where for uh, Good five, six years where like Blizzard was really making a lot of bad decisions and like had kind of had a sour taste in their fan base mouth. And I really think Overwatch now is kind of the rebirth, hopefully, and, and Legion soon, in a couple of weeks actually. Legion comes out on my birthday, a little fun fact for you. Um, I'm hoping it's kind of like the second coming of the golden years of Blizzard that I grew up with as, as a teenager and really became a loyal fan of theirs and still stay through it, uh, through the kind of the crappy expansions and, and crappy franchise reboots they've done. So hopefully they've learned from it. Hopefully they're listening to people. I think they get it too, and I hope in general. Like I'm not trying to make this a Blizzard Blizzard only bashing uh, thing, but in general, people need to listen to their fans more because it's it's going. You're you're investing hundreds of millions of dollars into these IPs and into the competitive scene and thinking you know your customer base and maybe their their pure fanboyism will blind them into making bad choices with their wallet. And I think those that's kind of turning now. People are wising up to it i'm hoping that's the case anyway
0: well i mean two points on that the first is this is not the first time the blizzard has come up as a big discussion point uh, around multiplayer real money transactions things of that nature again in the conversation with john widrow i had brought up a discussion surrounding the blog eight years in azeroth where uh gentlemen talked about running a guild uh during the high points of World of Warcraft, starting from vanilla, going all the way through Burning Legion and whatnot, and talking about how the game's mechanics had changed over time to accommodate better to more casual players, and how achievements had been put in that would attempt to entice the hardcore raiding guilds, but elements like the 40-man raid and things like that fell off, and terminology was changed in a way so that it didn't make it readily apparent that 40s were better than 25s and 25s were better than 10s. So it ultimately ended up catering towards the more casual players as time went on and kind of lost that fan base that was die hard, do or die. We're going to get what we're going to get out of this game and ultimately might have contributed a lot to Blizzard's losses from World of Warcraft. But further the reason why their name keeps coming up is because they're so heavily invested in all of this. Oh, I agree. World of Warcraft was the standard-bearer for MMOs up until about the point where nobody really gave a shit about MMOs anymore. Cataclysm. Yeah, when, (laughs) when World of Warcraft died, nobody cares about MMOs. They're not a conversation piece anymore like that genre exists
1: i agree 100 percent. like we've seen that with star wars galaxies burned out i mean every mmo that's tried to come out in the last three to four years as just as bomb because people don't want to dedicate the time and effort into those kind of games out it, it just doesn't they're not popular i mean they may make research at some point i hope they do because i enjoy it but i think mmos as we know them are, are done for the
0: for now and i mean it's not hard to understand why it's MMOs give you a huge amount of reward if you're the sort of person who's dedicated to committing the skill to them, so you could get those people who really wanted to have, you know, first-on-server this, first-on-server that, uh, hardcore raiding guild, things like that, and MMOs have kind of gone the way of the dinosaur in that. Like, Final Fantasy XI, when I picked that up, I invested a real-time month into that game, and I retired from it as a level 45 paladin, because I didn't want to deal with all of the bullshit associated with getting my character up to level 70. And Final Fantasy XIV, I spent an overall month, but not real time, real time was probably two to three days, and I got my character completely leveled up up to 50, and going through post-game content to get the extra equipment before I personally realized that MMO post-game content is just not for me, but it's that time difference is huge, and people would play in vanilla in World of Warcraft and pound 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 their way through the content and now they give you a fucking token if you buy the expansion pack that's upcoming legion that just gets you to level 100
1: yep yeah and i mean i know i i played day one since vanilla and i can remember i think i had about oh, i want to say like 14 12 to 14 days playtime. um when i when i hit cap if i remember correctly and now you could do it god in a, in a couple of hours like maybe six or seven hours if you have like the recruit a friend or uh, heirloom gear to, to help you level up. Unless, to your point, you do the token, that's an option too. Like, what they've done historically for the last, I want to say, since uh, Mr. Pandora, if you pre-ordered the next expansion, you would get a token to upgrade uh, the character. Not only upgrade the character, but also max out two professions, which that's a huge time sink too. So, And, and, and there's it's, it's kind of like a fine line because part of the joy of MMOs is that you put in the time, you put in the hard work, and now you've got you know you have the you've read the rewards and you get to show off to the thousands of other players but we could probably spend an hour and a half talking about the missteps of wow and why they've you know hemorrhaged people i think part of the reason is that in order to cater to the masses and the casuals to your point They've sacrificed the community feel. You have uh, cross realm interactions, which is great. It cuts down queue times. You can queue to groups instantaneously. You don't have to spam a chat room looking to find people and hoping for the best. But what what do you lose because of that? Well, you lose a sense of community because you don't know who these people are. And as soon as you finish the activity you're doing, you're never going to see them again. And and for me, like that, what kept me logging in every day and pounding out for years back from Vanilla to really Wrath Lath- Wrath Lich King until I took a break in Cataclysm was I had a set group of people that I was looking forward to playing with. We had our realm. We represented our realm, and I think that's really gone away now. Like, it's not doesn't feel the same. I think people talk about that. Part of it's probably nostalgia, but I think part of it too is just how accessible everything is. You have that instant gratification of a high level character. You have, you can jump into an LFR. Uh, for those of you who don't know, is looking for raid, which is like the entry level raid point. But really, it's you can seriously sit there and be AFK while. 29 other players play the game for you and then you collect your loot and then they wonder why people unsubscribe well that's because they hit in game in a matter of seconds and then they grind it out all the gear as far as what they're going to be capable of or motivated to do anyway because as far as they know they can't differentiate between normal heroic and mythic why and why should they they've got their their purples so I, I think that's a big part of why you see the fall off and at this point what's driving people back is probably more uh, story driven Uh, and content-driven of that aspect as opposed to the the mechanics of the game that really haven't changed much in the last 12 years.
0: Yeah, and the thing that's interesting to me that actually ties it back to the concept of where all of this competitive multiplayer is coming from begins and ends with the idea of defined, clear structures that show who is the best in World of Warcraft versus what people are starting to gravitate towards in gaming as a whole. To, to also tie this back a bit to the ludonarrative dissonance discussion Matt Yeager and I had uh, a week or so ago, it goes like this. People love, there are two different groups of people, people who are going to be closer to the ludology side of things and people who are going to be closer to the narratology side of things. Narratology-focused gamers are going to love Bioware games or Undertale or games where the narrative is strong. Okay, they're not part of this conversation, but it, it's good to know that they exist. Ludology-focused gamers are the motherfuckers who are going to spend 20 hours practicing a bullet hell shooter and are going to entirely grade their gaming experience based on how complex the systems are, how rewarding they are, how rewarding the difficulty is, and so on. We've started seeing a trend toward a lot of people loving the idea of Nintendo hard games. Dark Souls is a perfect example of this. It's a game that, to this day, I am still fucking baffled that it was a Game of the Year candidate and winner for a lot of sites.
1: Oh my god, thank you for... I don't think I've actually had another gamer admit that thought process. I purchased that game based on the hype, which I admit, in hindsight, I should have done. I think it was like an Amazon sale they were doing, but I paid it for like 20 bucks. but anyway... Put the game in. I, I, I think I lasted 10 minutes. I got to that first fucking werewolf, and he like just fucked fucked my shit up, and I'm like, this is this is horrible. And the UI was bad, and the itemization was bad. I, and again, I played for five minutes, I'm sure people are probably, probably going to be mad at me, but I, I just didn't find it enjoyable. And a, a big part of why those Nintendo games were so hard, again, we talk about developers making decisions, they intentionally did it because they could only fit so much in those cartridges, the games were short, they had to, fi- they had to find a way to make the games last longer. And the way they did that was by putting in broken mechanics. So... I... I, I I've found myself going more towards the narrative-driven games because I'm getting tired of every single game having to be a five-player MOBA. Even though Overwatch is an FPS, they're following that MOBA competitive game template of you need five people, you need voice comms, you also need to have a very specific meta comp setup. Meta is like the, the word of the year, the last couple of years, really. And I'm kind of just getting burnt out and sick of that.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's... Like, me personally, I love Dark Souls. not going to pretend that I don't. I think that the franchise is great. But I love From Software games. And I've always loved From Software games. And they make the games that they want to make, even if they're broken and fuck-handed as hell. Uh, again, referring back to the conversation I had about the Souls series with J. Rose. That franchise is, is Nintendo hard on purpose. And I will never understand how it got as popular as it did, even though I love it, because... Loving something doesn't mean that you can't appreciate the fact that it's not for everyone. But Dark Souls 3 moved close to 2 million units, and I didn't get it until it started becoming apparent that people want to be able to say, I did the thing, and get their internet butt-pats for it, or whatever the fuck. So you've got World of Warcraft with server-first, guild-first, whatever achievements, And, you know, raids that were massively difficult. I did this. Okay. Then you've got that starts to taper off and the difficulty goes away because they realize, hey, if we can get more people in here, we can make more money without realizing that if you start getting these more casual players involved in it and start making it easier for everybody to have something, nobody wants it.
1: And that's a big part of the reason why I think you're seeing um, the MMR system and the ELO, like the matchmaking system of these competitive games work the way they do, where they almost force you at a 50% win rate or try to keep you at that, and, which is so much... It's already been admitted by uh, Jeff Kaplan said in an interview that like, that's how the system works. Uh, HOTS of said say the same thing. And <clears throat> I find myself... I'm like around rank 64 in, in Overwatch. And I have players that are completely garbage on my team that are ranks below or not as good. And that's because that's the game's way of saying, hey, here's some casuals. I want to play the game too. And you basically have to win them the game. And it's I, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of like playing with people that just like don't want to play the game the way it's meant to be. If you want to play, they'll play competitive, because to your point, they want the rewards. They want to be like, I'm rank 60. Or if you're a league player, I I'm Diamond or I'm Platinum or uh, I'm Master League. Uh StarCraft's the same way. StarCraft ladder system and league ladder system is kinda the same deal. Hots is the same way. They all follow that same formula of you're climbing these ladders, you're you got a little trophy next to you in a rank, and everybody wants that. But the reality is, like, not everyone's good enough for that. And developers will never say that. They never will. They're like, oh, well, if you're bronze, so it doesn't matter if you're bronze, but no one wants to be bronze. So everybody wants to be the high, as high as they can be. And that's why you see, I think, a lot of volatile attitudes in those games. People flaming, people freaking out. Like, games had competitive when I was growing up. And people are definitely better than others, but like if I joined a, a COD server back in the day, like you could get steamrolled and no one really cared because you weren't you were on their team, but you weren't on their team. Like does that make sense? Like there was no rank. If you lost that game, you weren't gonna go down. Like people all people cared about was their kill to death ratio in FPSs. All people cared about in RTS was their their single player record. Multiplayer was a joke. So I, I I we're being forced in these comps and I think that developers are geniuses and figure out a way for good players to carry bad players with this whole fifty percent formula. And it's it's frustrating. I definitely see players that should not have the ranks they have, whether they're paying for ELO boosting, that's a whole other conversation, because that, that's also running rampant in all those games. Um, I don't know, but it's just, I don't and I don't really know if they can curb it either, but the MMR is definitely, I'm not a fan of it for HOTS, and I'm not a fan of it for Overwatch.
0: Okay, so I have a rough idea of what you're talking about with it, but just... What is, what is ELO? What is MMR
1: here? So, so MMR and ELO, so what the game does is they have an algorithm that looks at you as a player and says, you are this good and we're going to assign a numeric value to it that represents how good you are. Um, in a game like HOTS, they... You, You typically, like a beginner player, would have like a rank of 1500. Whereas when you start to get to like 2000 plus, you're okay. 2500 means you're experienced. 3000 means you're very experienced. 3500 or higher, you're pro level. Okay. And this is a value that you can't see as a player, but it happens behind the scenes. There are websites out there you can go to, like Hot Overwatch Pros, that aggregate using the formula and your wins loss. They, They pull all your data. And then they translate and goes, here's where you would be. Blizzard's not telling you this, but this is where we see you are. And that's uh, how they match you in these games. They match you with people to try to even out the MMR on teams so that it comes out to an equivalent number. Just how like Overwatch, you notice that like, players are like different levels, like their ranks, mm-hmm. and they try to like even the ranks out. Same concept, just behind the scenes in like games like League and HOTS, they're looking at MMRs. Plus the rank that you're in too, like it factors in all those things. Um So what you can have happen sometimes is that you have a player who's five, six hundred MMR points below you, but when you take all the teams together and all the players add them together, they average out to an equivalent number, supposedly. But you always are in a situation where typically someone on the team or two people on the team are pretty far below where the rest of the team's curve is. And and that's what I find and that's kind of where I was going with it, where like there's a lot of like not great players. You eventually escape from that, but in order to escape from that where like you have players who literally just don't know what they're doing, you'd think it'd be like in the gold and platinum tiers, but it's not. It's more like you literally have to be in the top one percent of the player base to start having decent multiplayer experiences.
0: So Alright, now I have not gotten into competitive with Overwatch. I'm just not skilled enough. I don't think, to do this sort of thing. And I rely almost exclusively on playing a support unit because I'm just... I'm not good at shooting people. I'm sorry. It's just a thing I'm terrible at. All right. That having been qualified, I've played enough Call of Duty to look at that and to see how the numerical values kind of spread out there. But yeah, as you said, it's in Call of Duty, for example, you're only responsible for your own metric. If you lose that game, you might lose out on the experience points you'll get from it. But who gives a shit? It doesn't impact you as a player. You still get your KDR. You still get whatever rank ups that you get when you get to them. It just makes it take longer to get to your first or second or third or fourth prestige. Comparatively in, say, online fighting games, if you do a ranked match, you are only responsible for getting your rank up. If you beat the other person, your rank goes up. If you don't, it doesn't. So it's it's in those games, it's personal achievement, personal satisfaction, personal reward. In these sorts of games, from the way that you're explaining it, it sounds like not only is it a team-based effort to get to where you want to go, but the game kind of, in its own way, seems like it maybe kicks you in the dick for being good to a certain extent?
1: It, it kicks you in the dick for being good and basically, in order to climb and I, I want to clarify too for, for people listening I'm speaking purely from a solo queue perspective. You can, you can do two things you can either queue as a team or you can queue solo. Um, but I, the vast majority of players don't have four other people, five other people sitting around wanting to run these matches. So for myself, I just do solo cause a lot of my friends are casual gamers. And uh, yeah what happens is that you typically you were in the middle or the higher end. I've, I've never been in a situation where I'm the lowest rank in a game that I can think of. So, and, and it also, again, it factors in a lot of things like win streaks and all the above, and it really tries to bring you to a 50% win rate. It's trying to equalize you around there, and so for you to really separate yourself from the pack, you have to single-handedly, it gets to a point where you have to single-handedly win games uh, to climb up past you know where you are currently sitting at. And that's just how they're designed, I'm not a huge fan of it like it's doable but it does require you to really carry the team or and play a specific role in those. like you'll never be able to do it like you said you mentioned you play support good fucking luck ranking up to top tier if you go to like the overwatch top tier ranks right now or hots every single person in the top i would venture 99 percent of them are going to play assassins where they can like where they can carry um or or pure damage dealers that's because you have to do that to be able to win the matches
0: Right, so it's it's support is going to be a useful function and everybody needs it, but if you want to actually get anywhere, fuck you, play Reaper.
1: Yeah, if your team's garbage, you're just healing people. Your healing may be amazing, and maybe your healing could theoretically carry the team per se, but if you have bad damage, healers don't know how to prioritize properly, you can heal them for days. You're just delaying the inevitable, which is a, a team wipe. So so yeah, that's and that's the same with MOBAs too. Like The MOBA players, they don't Necessarily, main support or defense heroes or uh, flex—they'll typically go pure, you know, hyper carries.
0: Okay, so with all of this discussed, the the there's a lot of things that make this just seem very convoluted and complex. But these games do still make their money back, and part of it has to come down to the idea of getting that recognition, getting those rewards, getting that oh, I achieved this or I achieved that metric. But another thing probably comes down to the conversation that we had to, that initiated this, which is the idea of people kind of sort of think they're going to become the next esports superhero.
1: Yes. And uh, if you go to the WoW forums right now, I promise you, you'll find a post saying, looking to form a team for BlizzCon. And I, I swear to Christ, every player I talk to, even if I was trying to find like a team... um that wants to push ladder, but realizes that we're not going to be going to any tournaments. Every single one that I would find in HOTS um, or in Overwatch thinks they're going to be going to tournaments. And I don't, it's almost like in this, like they feel like they're losers if that's not what their ambitions are, which I find really interesting. Cause I think, I, I don't know if it's because they really do idolize. I'm, I have a hard time personally watching the competitive matches and really like getting behind a specific team or player. And maybe that's just a problem with me. I just can't connect with it. Like, and I grew up with competitive players I really respected, like Grubby in Warcraft Three. I respected the hell out of him, and I think he's a good player. But I never like followed his scene, if that makes sense. I never really followed team scenes. Like, I'll watch competitive games. I've I've gone to many BlizzCons. Uh, I've watched. I've enjoyed. I've had fun. But I really didn't have anything in there emotionally if people won or lost. But I do for real life sports. And so it may, it's it's odd I can't get that connection. But yeah, it's people definitely do feel. I think that they're going to be the next big gamer and they treat it as such even though their skill is really not there and they don't i don't know if they don't have the self-awareness um or the for you know the foresight to see like really what is involved with that how very few people achieve that and even when they do they it's really hard to maintain because of how hyper competitive uh the scene is but i i don't know it, it is definitely I, I i don't know if i would call it a phenomenon but it's definitely a trend that you see with gaming and with streaming as well. People that think they're going to be Twitch and YouTube stars.
0: Oh yeah, and this is this has been going on for years and years at this point. Like, remember uh, back when webcomics first started uh, what was this, like back in the early 90s when the internet first started becoming a ubiquitous thing for people? Uh, Penny Arcade was the big deal for webcomics and everybody decided I'm going to need the next Penny Arcade and you couldn't go five websites without tripping over another fucking webcomic or a <laughs> webcomic aggregation site like fucking KeenSpot and everything else and all of that shit's dead now, and nobody's really making any money off of it, but Penny Arcade is still this weird sort of gold standard for it. They are the fucking Omega Man lording over the remainder of the webcomics that exist. Or, with streaming, as you said, PewDiePie. And Felix is a decent enough guy, He he's really deluded about the fact that he thinks that him saying bad things about games aren't going to destroy those games to a certain extent, because he doesn't really get that he's super famous relatively within the confines of internet fame. But everybody wants to be the next PewDiePie to the point where you see stories about people getting addicted to drugs because they're trying to do whatever to compete. And with the ubiquity of streaming services to the point where they're built into your consoles and the tools that you can use now on PC are easier than they've ever been... It's it's everybody's competing to be the next PewDiePie, to be the next multi-million dollar streamer when it's next to impossible.
1: And and the thing that really confuses me too is like I get the gaming industry; they're they're smart. I give them credit. Like they may get burned every now and then and called on their bullshit, but they're they're following the same formula that's already been done. I mean, think about when you were a kid, or or if if you weren't in the sports person, like kids in your class that would buy uh that famous baseball player football player and put the poster on the wall and they played little league because that's what they wanted to emulate they, they wanted to emulate their heroes that's what that's what gaming is turning into and that's exactly what people want they want you to have an emotional attachment nostalgia is powerful and they've, they've tapped into that i think as well as they can with the whole retro gaming thing and now they want you to get attached emotionally to teams that play the games oh and by the way these famous streamers well now one other big thing that goes on at on YouTube and Twitch is the endorsements a lot of these streamers aren't telling you that they're endorsing products or people are thinking they're getting a sincere product review and they're not they're they're basically being paid shills mm-hmm. and I, and I think that's it's, it's it is a slippery slope and where you can lose the confidence that you had and the fan base you had based on that and and I don't know really again like what the solution is I think I think it just is people are, I think it's fine to have ambitions and dreams but the weird thing is like and I'm not trying to bring anybody down, but, like, sports, like, when I brought that up, it's little kids that get into that, right? Yeah. So, it's, like, little kids get a Little League, and then they play, and maybe they play in high school. But you don't have grown-ass men in their 20s, you know, I'm almost 30 years old, saying, I'm going to go play in the NFL. But gaming's weird. Gaming is literally, like, you can have that, because it's, like, you're at your keyboard. You know, people in their 20s like, I'm going to be a pro gamer. It's, like, one... That that ships most pro gamers are start off like a much younger and stop by the time they're in the mid twenties. Second, I don't get what all the fascination is with becoming a pro gamer because if you look at the prize pool for tournaments, it's all out there. You can pull what these guys make. Most of the gaming community is not making like a shit ton of money. Like maybe they're making sixty, seventy thousand dollars. Okay, like if you got an office job and a degree, like you could pull that in too. Like that's the other thing I, I really don't get the allure about it. I think Boogie two nine eight. Are you familiar with him? He does yes, like the so. okay. I don't know what he makes now, but I know like a year ago, like when he was like kind of famous, but not like super as popular, he was saying he makes somewhere around like 45000 a year from YouTube. Which again, like not horrible money by any stretch of the imagination, but not something I think I would sacrifice my entire life for. And like, that's the thing I don't get. Like baseball, I kind of get it. You're they're going to be making, you see the $100 million contract for A-Rod, you're like, I want that. But gaming, it's like really odd. Because like, what, I, I don't know what it is that alerts people to. It. I'd be curious to hear that, that side of it. I guess it's just the what we were talking about earlier, that pat on the back, like, knowing I'm the best. But most of these pro gamers, like, they're not, I've gone to many tournaments, I've talked to people, they could give a shit about that. Like, they're most of them are purely in it for for, for money, basically.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, like, maybe it's because this kind of thing sprung up while we were in the process of already deciding, I want to go get an office job because I don't want to eat ramen noodles the rest of my fucking life. So, like, we have a different perspective on it. But I get this from a lot of people that they don't get where that comes from. And, you know, no disrespect to esports leagues, I think esports in general is great. I love the fact that Evo was on ESPN. I love the fact that esports are becoming a legitimate thing. But, like, I make more than most of your traditional esports players now. And I can't even begin to imagine the idea of playing a video game 16 hours a day to the point where yes. it's no longer fun and only playing that game. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I did the GVN Live podcast with Robert Hubs and we had Long Island Joe on, who is a notable fighting game community member. He's not like one of the super top tier famous guys. He's not like Daigo Umehara or what have you, but he's, he's notable. And in Evo, he was the only U.S. player to rank in the top 10, which is a big deal for him. And I asked him about it. I was like, you know, what do you do here? And he's like, well, I play Street Fighter to the point where it's not fun anymore. <laughs> but he still works a fucking regular job.
1: Yeah, and I, I can totally relate to that. I mean, that's how I was in, in, in WoW. I, I was in a high-end U.S. Top 20 guild. I was actually sponsored. We had sponsor. you know, I got a free mouse and keyboard. Woo! And um, I stopped doing it because we had, there's rules, okay, there's contracts you sign, there's rules, you have to play X amount of time, you have to stream amount of time, it's not a picnic, and it got to a point where, you know, a cool new game would come out, I'd want to play, it's like, oh, I can, because I have to log on at 6 p.m. Eastern, and play till 2 a.m. to get the new raid content down, like, it's it's a huge, huge commitment, I mean, they have my credit for that, because you really are giving up everything for this game, and the other aspect is, in some cases, depending on the game you're playing, like, you go to – you ever heard of, like, the gamer houses? Yes. Yeah, so you, you go to this gamer house. You're with a bunch of other dudes that you may or may not even like, and then you have a, a manager who's handling everything. And it's like, I I personally don't get the allure. God bless the people that want to do it. But what's odd is that it's almost like I'm all for esports growing, too. I think it's a great thing. I am I love this, this hobby, this industry, whatever you want to refer to it now. I want to see it continue to grow. But it's almost like if you don't like the esports games and like that structure, you get flamed by the community. And that I find really odd. And it's like, why can't we just accept the fact that there are pro gamers? That's what they want to do. That's fine. That's their prerogative. But not every single person who plays these games has to have that same mindset. And if they don't, they're basically ostracized. Like that's that's the issue I have with it. And that's where the whole PC Master Race conversation, I think, comes in and, and console. But even though console is trained towards that too, you have the Call of Duty tournaments, you have Halo. So I don't know. Everything's kind of shifting towards that.
0: Yeah, and it's here's, to bring it all back, from what we've discussed here, I feel like the answer to the question of is this sustainable is almost certainly not, just because we've already seen these patterns before, and we've talked about several of them in this recording, and none of them played out particularly well.
1: And I don't know, I think the thing too is that, is anyone really looking for sustainability though? Like if you look at the gaming crash in the 80s, all companies cared about was games are popular. Let's print more games. Fuck quality. Push them out as fast as we can. And then there was oversaturation of poor quality games. That's what caused the crash. The movie industry, you know, I know where this is gaming, but it's very. there's, very, there's a lot of parallels and similarities here you see the success of the Marvel franchise. One of the big things in the news right now is Suicide Squad. And you have DC just trying to push out these superhero movies, and they're instead of making it their own, they're trying to fit a formula that was successful and make it exactly the same. And really, no one's being innovative. We get a ton of sequels in gaming, ton of sequels in movies, because people are afraid to fail, because these are no longer, um, you know, a couple million dollars, a couple thousand dollars to produce. They're in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And I, I think you have to almost stop making these triple-A, multi- 100 million dollar games just kind of go back to where you were because a lot of the games that we talked about where they stem from they weren't even made by the developers again like league of legends was a freaking mod that the players thought of you mentioned counter-strike counter-strike was a mod from Mm half-life like like these these are all things that like people figure out what's fun and then I think what companies need to do a better job of is embracing their, their fans. Halo tried to do that to a bit with the Forge, like experimenting, but that wasn't a whole different game type. And then kind of empowering or hiring people or whatever. Nostralius, uh, are you familiar with that, with WoW? Like the whole no drama? Yeah. So basically, for people that wanted that vanilla WoW feeling that we discussed earlier on, there was a website called Nostralius where you could download emulator of private WoW server
0: Oh, an, that, yeah, I heard about that. That have an LOL.
1: So I think that's why you're seeing things like that happen, and fans are kind of taking, trying to put the power back into their hands because like these gaming companies just don't seem to be getting it. I think Blizzard, again, is coming out of the, the haze that they're in somewhat. I'm hoping so, anyway. I know they have a new Diablo game in the works. Uh, I'll be interested to see what, what's going on with that. Maybe there's an announcement at BlizzCon, but I don't think we can sustain these just eSport, MOBA games. Like, it's, it's getting to be too much. I don't think it's sustainable. Um, I think it can still be enjoyable, I think it should still be supported, but I don't, I think right now we're just, we're, we keep chasing trends and then missing out on other opportunities. That's my view on it.
0: Right, and it's, on one hand, like, the, the the gaming crash of the 80s isn't as comparable to what's going on now, just because a lot of the problems also stem from the fact that none of the people who were making the consoles on which these games appeared were actually making any money off of the third-party games because they never bothered to put any controls in place to make sure that people who developed for their consoles had to pay them any kind of money, which was a lesson that Nintendo learned with the Nintendo Seal of Quality, which became the Nintendo Seal later when they realized that they were letting through games that were nowhere near quality products. But that's an entirely different conversation. But on the other side of things, again, that was a uh, the discussion of AAA gaming needing to scale back a bit was a conversation that has come up before where we don't need everything to be a AAA game. A lot of the most successful games that have come out in the past couple of years have not been AAA games. Like, look at games that won awards for 2015. Undertale, Her Story. Rocket League. Rocket League, not AAA games. Hugely popular, innovative, interesting. Not AAA games, and they more than made their money back. It's, we don't need every game to be this $60 AAA DLC and microtransaction-laden content fest. It's, games can just be good, but not necessarily the most technically viable.
1: Yep, and I think people just don't get it. Uh, Another good example that we're seeing right now is is No Man's Sky, which is... In my opinion, not a AAA game. However, Sony positioned it as such. The way they advertise it is that you're getting this AAA experience, and really it's just Minecraft and space.
0: Yeah, and, like, I've been saying this on Twitter in a few cases. It's like, this is an Art Dink game. Art Dink was this low-tier developer uh, in the 90s and into the early 2000s that released a lot of really experimental, weird and quirky games for the PlayStation and later the PlayStation 2 and 3. Uh, before they eventually became just just another development house. And the games that they released were very much experiences more than they were full-fledged games. Uh, look up something like Aquanauts Holiday or Tale of the Sun for an example of the crazy shit that they made. And whenever I mention this to people who are really, like, elbow deep in the gaming community, they're like, yeah, No Man's Sky is kind of an art dink game. And I'm like, yeah, if you if you played Aquanauts Holiday and then you played No Man's Sky, you would feel like they were from the same developer. But the problem is, Sony positioned it as, you know, uh, the next great spacefaring adventure or whatever the shit, and the development house Hello Games never wanted to talk about the game, never wanted to expose the game. They kept it tight. They kept their mouths shut except for very few revelations, and everybody was talking about this is going to revolutionize the industry, and everybody mentally built this game into what they wanted it to be because of the way Sony positioned it and because there was no information. And right now, it's, it's an art dink game. It's StarCraft without, uh, not StarCraft, um, uh, Starbound in 3D without the building. It's Minecraft with the ability to travel between planets. And that's not a bad thing. I like the game, but I totally get why people don't.
1: It's not, but I think it's an example of a... a the reason I brought that game up is it's an example of a company trying to do what we just were discussing about is take a risk, kind of do it your own spin on it. Like, yeah, it's similar to other games, but they tried to make it their own. But it got overhyped by Sony into being something that it's really not. And I, and I think like that's the thing to like, just have the trust in these games. Let them do their thing. If it's good it will become popular. Like, there's tons of games in history, we could name a list out there, that didn't sell great initially out the gate, and then people got a hold of it, and they're like, wow, this is something really special. I'm going to tell my friends. And now and now with the agent of social media, like, let them do the advertising for you, honestly. Like, if they get a good game, and they tell their followers, like, it, it'll spread no problem with, on Reddit and everything else.
0: Yeah, and it's. I feel like at the end of the day... Blizzard is probably going to be successful with everything that they're trying to do at this point, partly because they had a lot of bad lessons that they had to learn the hard way, to be sure, but also because they're Blizzard and they have Activision behind them. Overwatch made all the fucking money, and they will take all of that money and they will dump it into HOTS until they can make HOTS at least a top three game that is, in its own way, tournament viable. I don't think that anybody else outside of League of Legends, Dota and HotS is going to be a success. Like I'm not even sure why Epic made Paragon because I'm absolutely positive that thing is going to die in a fire. And what's, what's the other
1: one? Here's a Nord newsworth or something like that. I forget the name of it, but that's the other one that's like a semi-popular MMO. Yeah, and then writer. there's
0: uh, Smite, which, you know, people just constantly make like wank jokes about because it's it's nothing. It, it's clown shoes. Nobody gives a shit about it. And it's, it's, I feel like we're already starting to see that player burnout, that, that, that lack of player interest because Battleborn and Overwatch were positioned as competitive products and Gearbox software is a known commodity in the gaming industry. Not always for the best reasons. Randy Pitchford is kind of a piece of shit. Aliens Colonial Marines was fucking garbage. Duke Nukem Forever should have just stayed dead, etc. But... Borderlands is a thing that a lot of people loved, so there was definitely that idea there of, oh, this is going to be a big competition, Battleborn versus Overwatch, who do you got? And Battleborn got the fucking shit kicked out of it. Yep. And it's, I don't, I don't feel like, outside of what Blizzard has done at this point, that there's really any more room for anybody else to succeed. I feel like we're at the point now where the next Titanfall is going to come out and it's not going to do the kind of money that people expect it's going to do.
1: Well, I think Blizzard did a really good job at covering a lot of different types of genres. They're they're trying to diversify. We we didn't even talk about Hearthstone. I mean, that's another huge cash cow for them. Yeah. And it's it's really beating Magic the Gathering at their own own game, like online, compared to uh, physical I'm referring to. But it's just... I think they're making a resurgence and I think they're trying to give a little bit for everybody. They're giving that single player card player experience. They have the RTS. They've got a a MOBA. They've got an MMO. They've got an action RPG. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. They're on the right path to just hope they have learned, truly learned from those mistakes and keep pushing forward.
0: I agree. And it's, I kind of feel like at this point, they're going to be the ones to beat again, especially as it relates to the competitive multiplayer arena. Like, as far as MOBAs go, I feel like League, Dota, and HOTS are probably going to be your top-tier games and nobody's going to touch them because they just don't have enough money to dedicate to it and they don't have an interesting enough concept to go against it. But I feel like the fact that we're probably going to see a few more MOBAs in the next year or two is going to ultimately hurt a lot of the specialness of games like League and Dota, outside of their reputations as being, you know, huge competitive multiplayer arenas. Yep. But I also feel like the games that are coming out that are trying to be the the new hotness as far as competitive multiplayer go, like in first-person shooters and things of that nature, are going to rapidly find that there isn't anywhere for them to get in. Like, Titanfall made its money, but everybody was bored with it after, you know, a couple of weeks, and it, it didn't go anywhere and now titanfall 2 has to compete with all of the games that have been released in its wake a destiny uh, a star wars battlefront and the fact that overwatch is kind of the de facto competitive experience i feel like titanfall 2 is going to be that line of demarcation where we start realizing that players are just not going to invest more money in the new hotness Because they've kind of found the thing that's going to carry them for six months or a year or whatever, and they don't give a shit about a Titanfall two or whatever other game that comes out that's trying to compete in that market space, just because there's too much of it.
1: Well, and and there's this is another thing to think about too. A lot of people I talk to that play League of Legends, one of the things, even though they tell me how much they hate it and complain about all these different aspects, what keeps them going back is that they've invested a shit ton of money into the DLC. They've built they've built out the different characters, they've got runes, they've got skins. So that's another really, really important aspect to keep in mind is that the financial investment that are being made into these games. And I think that's also going to be what limit people from switching over to, the new hots. Like, what brought people to hots is that you had an existing IP of characters that people loved, and that helped. But to your point, a brand new moba coming out that's following a DLC pattern. G- good luck to you, because like right now, like League is still huge. Like, I, most time if you go to Twitch, they're still the number one game that's out there, and the other ones kind of fluctuate between either like Hearthstone or sometimes WoW or Smash Brothers, whatever's popular given that time or a new title release but at their core i think you're still going to have the same big players for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, i definitely feel like we're kind of getting to the point where they're they're reaching their apex across the board. There's no major franchises that you can attach this sort of thing to to try to make the buck off of it and everybody kind of loves what's on top right now. I just i feel like in the next year or so we're going to start see that slowly pan downward. And it'll be interesting to see if people keep trying to invest in it hand over fist like they've been doing or if everything's going to kind of peter out and somebody's going to look for the new hot thing. And more importantly, if these sorts of games are going to continue to be sustainable on their own merits or, or if they're going to go the way of the rhythm game where they just quietly peter out and become just another genre that nobody gives a shit about so much.
1: Yeah, and I kinda hope too, like, from a, a streaming perspective and competitive esports I'd like to see less of like you and I streaming, which is what Sony tried pushing and Microsoft tried pushing. Like, I I don't get we kinda need to give up the the illusion that everybody's gonna become a professional streamer. I get that's what they're marketing. I know we we touched on this topic, but just to kind of expand on that, I think what would help it thrive is like right now if you go to Twitch, you're gonna find thousands of channels of gaming that probably no one's watching anything except two or three channels that are really driving that viewership right it's it's a, it's the flagship streamers just just embrace that call for what it is make it so where you have to have a special partnership or whatever and that's how you're you're a big time streamer and just have your your core people and then eventually other people can come up through the ranks but right now there's so much crap and garbage that it's like hard for someone i think that wouldn't be into it to just suddenly want to be into pro gaming. It's like literally turn on your TV and you have an NFL game on one channel, then you flip it and then you have like a local league of adults playing football. Like, why, why would you want to watch that?
0: Oh, you absolutely wouldn't. And it's... I mean, I personally enjoy having the ability for people, for streaming to be available to everyone. I really do. Because, you know, I like live streaming games just to showcase to my friends, like, you know, here's this, here's whatever. Because a lot of them aren't going to have access to all of the different games that they would want to see. And it's it's a good social experience for, all, for everybody that I know to just get together and bullshit for a couple of hours on a Saturday night. Who cares? But... We don't need those channels to necessarily be highlighted. You know, if you're talented, whether it be as a personality or as a content creator, you will find a way to get yourself your audience. But yeah, it's, there probably doesn't need to be a highlight on somebody who's playing like the hot new competitive game just because they're playing the hot new competitive game.
1: Or just differentiate it. I mean, just have a section where it's like, here are, here are pro gamers and here are casual. Like, I, I don't know. I think right now everything's kind of clumped together. And it's kind of like companies said, you know what, here's these tools, have at it. If you blow up, congratulations, you make us money, we don't care. But there's no quality control. I mean, you can go to Twitch right now, all you do is you click the game, and then you get spam with streamers. And I think that's where the illusion of anyone can become this comes from. And there's no set standard uh, The differentiates between someone like myself who could start up with one viewer and somebody that has millions of viewers
0: yeah and to a certain extent there are some groups that kind of allow for a certain amount of quality control like for people who play dark souls uh you can join up with the group speedruns live if you're a speedrunner and it will specifically show your streams as part of the speedruns live group but it it requires that you be a part of that community and that you go to those websites and that you look for that sort of thing I do agree that there should be a certain amount of options available within the services themselves to allow people to tag themselves as I'm a casual player, I'm a a professional player. And then if you're a professional player, maybe you have to provide some kind of credentials or some kind of association to the group that you belong to, so that if you're somebody who's just interested in esports, you can just go look at the players who do esports, even if you don't know their names, because they're associated with this known group or that known group. A way that where, you know, somebody who just wants to stream for 20 or 30 people can do that, while the pro players can do so without being lost in the shuffle.
1: Right. And and again, like, I'm not huge on the pro scene to begin with, but I think that'd be one way to kind of help bring in players and also have them something to strive for because then it goes back to that carrot on the stick like they're like okay well i'm not a sponsored uh streamer but i want to work towards that just like back in the day when youtube had the youtube partnerships that they were like hard i know it's from what I understand it's a bit easier to get now than it was you know a couple of years ago
0: yeah so i feel like at this point what it comes down to is it looks like we probably kind of agree at least to a certain extent that th- these things are going to start petering out and that there probably needs to be a structure in place to allow esports to thrive so that if these games start petering out, that we don't necessarily lose the games that are popular and the support for esports in the process. Because it is, it is going to be very easy if these games end up losing their popularity on the whole – for people to just stop giving a shit about the eSports aspect of things and for everything to just go down the drain in one shot.
1: Yeah, I don't want to see it turn off people from playing new games that are focused purely on trying to become an eSport.
0: Yeah, and its I really hope that that's where this goes, that we eventually get to a point where the custodians who have control of this end up creating a way by which they can take care of these structures. Because this is important, you know, we don't want to go from esports being featured on sports networks and being played in sports bars and things of that nature to everything going away inside of a couple of years because people didn't take care of it. And I hope that the people who are in charge of this kind of realize that they need to take care of this shit and that they need to invest the time and the money, not just in developing the next new hot thing or trying to build a team who can be competitive so that they can get their money and cash out, but that these people actually invest that money into making sure that there's esports in 10 years.
1: Exactly. And the thing, too, is like I I keep making the comparison to real life because there's there's comparisons to be made there. Someone didn't come up with baseball and then f- the next year try to come up with a brand new sport, a new sport and then a new sport and then a new sport and then a new sport. Like if you go to one of the things to look at is again, you go to Twitch. That tells you everything you need to know right there. The same games on the front page now arguably were there four or five years ago. And that should show companies that you're trying to compete with this. You're trying to create lightning in a bottle and it hasn't worked. Like, the top games on there are Counter-Strike, Dota, League of Legends, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty. Everything we just talked about, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Twitch right now. So it's like, embrace. if that's what it is, if that's what's popular, embrace that franchise, give it the proper support. If, if that's what you're going to do, and I can't, we can't change it, but stop making every new game try to mimic what is already popular and established.
0: Yeah, and it's, I feel like, I want to close with this, I think. I feel like all of these developers are trying to chase the dragon Is that is the success of the first-person shooter. Because from the moment that the first-person shooter really crystallized as an experience with, I'm going to say Doom, your opinion may differ, but I'm going to say that Doom is where that experience crystallized and it started to evolve, first-person shooters have always been popular. Always. There's never been a period where we didn't love first-person shooters in the West and think that they were the greatest fucking thing since sliced bread. And everybody is chasing that dragon with whatever they're trying to create. But the thing that these people don't realize is that first-person shooters were successful because they had that long period of time where they got to evolve and turn into something new and unique and special and different. The rhythm genre didn't get defeated because a better genre came along. The rhythm genre got defeated because it defeated itself. Dance Dance Revolution and the 8 million copycats killed... DDR in the arcades. Uh, the plastic instrument genre didn't die off because we got tired of playing those games. It died off because there was two or three games being released every year at some point, and there just wasn't enough of a market space there to capture the interest in that. For the amount of things that were being released, people aren't taking care of these genres, right. and it's MOBAs could potentially be a genre like first-person shooters that stick around because they offer that competitive edge and they offer something that's interesting. But if we don't take care of it, they could end up becoming the next rhythm game. And the the major point that I, I really want to stress is that in two separate podcasts, we've brought up World of Warcraft now. But the thing to keep in mind is that another MMO didn't come along and defeat World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft defeated World of Warcraft. That is true. I feel like that's as good a place as any to wrap up just because at at this point, the best thing that we can probably say here is I hope somebody learns a lesson from this, but history has shown that they may not be the case, but you can be hopeful on it if nothing else. But, uh, I I do want to say thank you to you, sir, for, uh, joining me on the podcast today. I, I do very much appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, so, Join us next time when our podcast will be 10 games that are ripping off Rocket League. Wait, fuck, really? No, I'm not talking. Never. Fuck that. Anyway, uh, everybody, thank you for listening. This is Mark B. Staying safe, safe out there, junkers.